was thinking this morning, I had, I have thoughts. No, no. I got thoughts. I know, right? It's dangerous. Um, so we all know now Westover is not undefeated. Well, <laughs> this morning, Westover is undefeated. His team was not undefeated. Got it. Okay. <laughs> the Westover is undefeated. I didn't play. That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so he went through a grueling practice this morning and had yeah. got tired watching his young men run. They did a little running this morning, yeah. Well, all right. I was thinking of asking you about that and the discipline and things like that that you are distilling on these on these young men that are playing basketball. I mean, these are 14, 15-year-old boys. Yeah, 13 to 15, yeah. 13 to 15 boys. And very, you know, very important age for development. Very true. And you know, what, what, you, what we pick up when we're that old and typically starts to define, gets gains some momentum. And we run because we have an authority figure, a coach, or we write a bunch of things on a chalkboard. I had to do that a few times. Because a teacher or somebody would, or I'd have to go do an extra set of chores at home sure. or Whatever. We didn't have the timeout thing when I was growing up. We had the... Yeah, I don't remember if I was ever... I was sent to my room, but timeout, like yeah. against the wall, that didn't... Yeah, that was a new thing when I heard that word. Playdate and timeouts. Those were <sighs> like, what in the Sam is going on here? I don't... What happened? Um, I used but, to call my own friends, right? And right. talk to their parents instead of my mom and raging for their mom to right. bring them over. Right. Hey, yeah. Johnny, can you hang? Exactly. Or you just showed up. I mean, that's kind of what Some we did. Some moms were scary to talk to, too. Like, you had right. to learn. Right. To you had to learn Talk to adults. Yeah. Right. Sure. Ma'am. I mean, it was like Eddie Haskell. We were all... Nobody out there knows who Eddie Haskell is anymore. But we had to kind of get to know, yeah, you're right, the parent yeah. thing. And so if, you, if they didn't like you, you're... It's still, not, it snuck yeah, in the back you door. You still figured a way. Yeah. <laughs> you still figured a way. But I was thinking, you know... We've shared, you know, the Arizona firm and the Westover firm have shared so many clients after, for so many years, and we've both seen one thing in common. We see a lot in common for a minute, and then you kind of take that uh, individual that has immigration um, uh, concerns uh, from there. And sometimes those go on for a long period of time, and sometimes they don't go on for as long. Um, but the one thing I think we shared, this is what my thought was. And I wanted to see kind of what your thoughts on it were, um, is the fear. There, There's a legitimate fear that I get when we share a client, when our firm shares a client with your firm. And I have my attorneys coming over to me saying, okay, um, every person that has a document issue, whether they have current documents, it might be um, that maybe uh, they may have, you know, this criminal offense uh, might, um, and it's not just criminal, actually, I was thinking about this. It's uh, in a divorce case where somebody's in proceedings and they're, getting divorced from their equity. So I wanted to... The person of, that petitions them, sure. Yeah. 
And so let's, what does that mean, a person that petitions them? Let's yeah, so, so everybody so out most there family-based immigration, and, and we deal with lots of immigration, whether it be employment, family-based, or some kind of deportation defense. Um, and, and to be honest with you, that maybe is the same answer with deportation defense because we have to have qualifying relatives, whether they be children, parents, or, or uh, spouses. But on family-based immigration, you've always got a petitioner. And basically, that's person that's sponsoring you. Um, and family-based immigration, it can be a brother, sister, parent, or child, uh, spouse as well. Excuse me. Um, and so, yeah, when there's a divorce, like you're saying, or a family law issue where we're either losing custody of a kid, or um, are, and that would affect a deportation right. case because part of a deportation defense case is you're trying to tell the judge that you, your family would suffer, your qualifying relative would suffer an extreme and unusual hardship if you were not present in the United States. And so if custody is taken away from you in some way, that qualifying relative argument isn't very strong um, because the mother's basically in charge of that or the father, depending on who's in you know, immigration proceedings. Or on a family-based, you know, straight case, it's not deportation defense. If you get a green card and you were married less than two years, that green card's conditional, which means it's conditioned on you staying married for the next two years and you have to file an additional application. I've got two people in my office today as I was looking at my calendar that are coming in that we did their green cards for and they're saying, hey, my petitioner, my spouse doesn't want to be married anymore. I know one of the cases I just got approved in January. Um, so it's under two years and we're going to have a problem. So it, it, it's not unsolvable, but it makes it a lot more complicated for us. We have to prove good faith marriage since the beginning, and there's lots of evidence of either spousal abuse or, or infidelity or whatever we have to prove in order to say that we need to be waived from the provision of keeping this marriage valid through the, through the years. Isn't it interesting that they go that deep into it in the immigration courts wherein um, you roll into the divorce court? And they don't care. And they, right, they yeah. don't. It's just like okay, well, it's over. It's, it's where's the where's yeah. the place to sign? And and I think the the purpose of that is obviously you know to eliminate fraud marriages, to eliminate somebody who's going to marry right. somebody for papers, some kind of financial arrangement. Um, I mean, obviously in the United States we have the right, and it's an inherent right by the Constitution to marry and divorce as we please. Uh, always it hasn't always existed that way through right. all, through history and culture, but. But we have that here. And so you're right in, in Arizona, when you're dealing with a, when Arizona firm's dealing with a divorce, I mean, we don't have to, or you don't have to put specific even reasons. It can be irreconcilable right. differences or whatever it is. But for us, yeah, it matters um, if there's a certain period of time where that divorce takes place. Yeah, no fault. So I, I know you understand this pretty well um, because you manage and run your own firm. Uh, Westover firm. And so you have other attorneys that are coming to you going, okay, um, what do I do here? What do I do here? What do I do here? And I would assume that you kind of look at this the same way I do, which is it's, it's fun to support them. It's fun to support, to, to say, okay, well, you know, let's, let's look at this thing globally. Let's, you know, and then, oh, okay, hold on. Hang on second and then I'll go and I'll call you and say okay what what's what here sure. and I found that that's been the case in um, everything that we do meaning somebody gets in a car accident and they start asking about immigration stuff and I think there's no way in heck this is going to have any um, bearing whatsoever on an, any immigration type thing but 
just to make sure. Oh, you, um, one of our saddest cases, or one of my saddest, and you may not even know this, one of my saddest cases that you guys represented, and, it, and it, the plea deal you got was great, but it ended up resulting in the deportation of this girl. Um, I don't know if you're, I don't think it was your case. It might have been Nathan's. Um, a lady had, speaking of accidents, uh, a kid on a bike had ran out in front of a lady, no fault uh, of her yep. own. She hit him. Yep. She killed him. She panicked as she hit him, and she had a green card. She left. She drove about a half mile down the road, stopped in a parking lot, called her brother. What do I do? What am I supposed to do? He tells her to go back. By the time she turns around, they're already looking for her. She did come back. She reported everything, but in that transcourse of whether 20 or 30 minutes, she got a charge for leaving the scene of an accident. Unfortunately, it was leaving the scene of a death and injury accident, which made it worse for her. Um, I think we're still winning that case on appeal. I've have it up on appeal because there was no precedent decision, That's but it was a sad one. Um, yeah. cause what the, you ended up getting, you know, a felony six on yeah. a death case, right. which is great. Um, but unfortunately the judge sided with the department's position on ours, that it was a deportable offense because she left that scene of an accident, that there was some kind of vile and depraved nature in what she did. Um, so yeah, that one's a, that one, yeah, even accident case. And that was keep... a criminal accident case, but still, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, right. Similar it, some. There, there's just no all sorts accident. of, right. And so we've got somebody with going through a divorce that is married and they're in uh, proceedings with, with immigration, something that you're handling. And they're wondering, um, this person that's asking for me, my, my ticket to this country to become documented is no longer going to be my spouse. Sure. Um, and then you're telling me, yeah, and the and the thought process with immigration is way deeper than our thought process in civil divorce down the street, just like anyone would be getting a divorce, that, that there's a no fault, and that's just not the case in immigration. Yeah, and sometimes we have to advise... It depends on who's filing the divorce, right? If it's the petitioner that's that's initiating it, sometimes I go to my client and say, look, if you're at all at fault for this, go and apologize. Like, this is important enough to, to reconcile your marriage um, if it's at all reconcilable. If it's my client, I sometimes say, you need to exercise more patience because this is going to affect your immigration status. And so, yeah, sometimes we have to talk in between our firms and say, hey, you know, we need to delay a divorce or we need yeah, to can we slow the roll down can, or can this can, person be can you talk to your clients and tell them to get back together or yeah. figure it out. So um, and oftentimes we're we're successful there, but there's a lot more to it than a lot of people out there might think. And I want them to kind of hear this from our standpoint is like it bleeds into everything. Everything. And it's interesting that that Arizona happens to do divorce and one wouldn't think what does that have to do with immigration personal injury case one wouldn't think what does that have to do with immigration well if that person that didn't cause the accident they got rear-ended and they were injured and they or they got injured in an automobile accident that was not their fault but they're driving without a license and so they walk away with a criminal offense now that's not the worst criminal offense in the world um, at all, and it's very survivable, but they're still concerned that there's any involvement whatsoever with. And it may be even more simple than that. It may be something like 
the person is the victim of the the in, injury accident, but they don't have a social security card. And right. so the payment and how that works and how they receive those and with bank accounts and whatever else. It gets deep. Not, yeah. Right. There, there's some, there's a web to unweave. And so I just thought this morning when I was thinking, I just had this thought. I was like, there is so many things that we could get so lost in the weeds, but just sufficeth to say, right? It's sufficient to say, all right, uh, immigration pretty much is a very, very, very key um, component on one-third of our population in Arizona in their mind, whether it be for themselves or somebody that they love. Yeah, and for my clients, it's a lot of times it's, you know, take away their family and their and their means of making a living. It's the number one thing on their mind. Right. <laughs> Um, and often those are intertwined, right? Raising their family here right. safely and without having to look over their shoulder um, while not having documents or trying to get documents. Or, yeah, every time they go out and potentially get pulled over or are working at a job site that gets raided or whatever else, I mean, it's top of mind for these guys. And Yeah, you, no said, what. you said the other day, you said shadows, that so we'll just push them back, the government will just push them back into the shadows and you know, whatever, just be in the shadows, don't be front center, don't be. I feel like that's the way the majority of those that are here without documentation live is in the shadows. They, they're they not looking for reasons to go out and... Um, and not their preference. Right. Because if you know this community, you also will know that they're probably the most liberal economic spending community that's out there. Right. Maybe unless you had a million dollars to your name, they, if they have discretionary income, they don't tend to be savers and that's right. not a knock on them. They just tend to be able to, they, they tend to spend their discretionary income, whether it be, I mean, at an amusement park or whatever it is, the, the few hours they get when they're not yep. working and spending with their kids, yeah, they're spending money. Yeah. They're and making so it, a memory. It's tough that they feel like they can't sometimes come out into the community when we would be a great benefit to, as right. far as economically here in the state, to what they do spend. Well, I feel like I feel like if we start cranking down on policy and we start cranking down on education out there, and having some folks, you know, really start paying attention to this point of view, um, the issue that we have with immigration could be a positive. It yeah. would. It would probably require a root canal here and there to give and, <laughs> and take. I'm and I'm never going to, politically, there's going to be people that are never going to support any kind right. of immigration reform. And I respect that completely. Like I said, I, I think we've mentioned it in other podcasts. I'm just realistic with what's here. Right. And, and I figure if you've got a hole in your pants already, uh, you can't go back to the day that you ripped the hole in the pants to fix it. You've right. got to just fix what's there. Yeah. And so for me, yeah, you've got a problem already. It's unfixable, meaning you just, there's no logistical way. It's been proposed many times to just mass deport 11 million people or more. And so you've got to figure out some, in my opinion, there's, there's some reason to figure out some solutions. I would, I would assume that that would be a high priority for most American Voters and or folks. Yeah, that live it just here. depends on where they land on the spectrum, whether it's high enforcement or, right. or more liberal enforcement for sure. But I feel like you get a round table and you figure, all right, let's get what we have to agree on, agreed on. 
we have a hole in the pants. There's a hole in the bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza, there's a hole here. What are we going to do? And so for me, I'm thinking, all right. Let's, so our solution right now, right, is just to keep pouring water in the bucket and letting it continue, right, let it to, continue leak out, to leak But keep pouring water in the right. bucket, right? Yeah, and, and, and put it in different spots. <laughs> and put it and put the leak in different spots. And maybe we'll put tape over it, right. even though we don't know that. We know that's not going to hold the water. Right. but Right, which has been done. Yeah, a little bit. Here even and there. Really and even that, it just, you know, the tape's never been good the tape. It's just getting bigger. It's a, it's, it's a good size hole. So... For me, I'm thinking, okay, this really is a very global, interesting conundrum we find ourselves in. You work in it all day long, every day. We have quite a few cases um, that that touch our firm for a bit until they move along to yours, and or they're still, you know, or coincide. Um, I love the fact that that they're patient. As far as those that are seeking documents and trying to do it legally, um, they're pretty strong folks that way, um, have some pretty good resolve. Um, and I'm trying to take away the panic without selling the dream. Like the, the, you're in good hands with Westover. That firm over there is as good as you're ever going to get. You're in good hands there. Um, patience. We're going to be okay here. We're going to let, you know, we can't guarantee them anything often. Yeah. And so I was thinking, all right, well, let's take a normal run of the mill. Let's, let's, let's drill down on a normal run of the mill case um, that happens all the time. The one that we probably see the most of are DUIs. Sure. And that's probably the most, uh, the most popular uh, charge, uh, period, really not not isolating out those that don't have documents. Um, okay, and they they feel like they're host. And so the first thing is okay, since we've done them so often, um, the first thing is is okay. Breathe, and let's let's deal with this as is, and let's keep you in this country that's our number one thing fighting for your documents at that point and sometimes no depending on how we go about things so you send over a DUI um, for Brian Mike one of them to handle and they immediately see okay because we have a question I mean that is something they tell us about whether or not they have immigration concerns and so they tell us, okay, I don't have any documents. All right. All right. Looking at this case as is, um, it, it appears that we're going to be able to, you know, handle it to where you absolutely got to check mark all the boxes to satisfy the city um, where you got the DUI. And then from there, um, you may or may not need an immigration attorney. Um, oftentimes they want to, they want to go talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, they've got a DUI. Then they end up in your office, whether it be six months later, two months later, 10 years later, what's the deal with a DUI and immigration? 
So actually, it's kind of nuanced a little bit because DUI in and of itself is not a disqualifying crime either for whether it be bond, like a, a, a fianza in Spanish, uh, meaning they can get out of immigration detention by paying a bond, or even an, a green card application, it's not disqualifying. Now, citizenship, any law enforcement contact that's of a somewhat serious nature within five years of applying for citizenship is going to cause you problems. So oftentimes my answer on that, if they already have a green card and they're looking to do citizenship and you've negotiated a, a good plea on a DUI, I just have to, like you said at the beginning, exercise patience. Hey, you're going to have to give it another four years and then we can apply for it. Um, you know, all the DUIs have different nuances, whether they're charged as extreme and super extreme and aggravated and all those different things. And, and technically in immigration, none of those have disqualifying elements to them. So, so actually they used to, and we used to have to really negotiate these when we had endangerment elements right. and whatever else. And those are when the DUI starts to climb, climb to a, 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 into a felony. Level. Yeah. So for, for us, it's kind of funny, and, and here's where maybe we can reemphasize our concern, or at least on my part, the concern for the client first rather than the dollar. Right. Because oftentimes what I'm telling you to do is strategize ways where immigration doesn't have contact with the client. Right. Which means they're not coming back to me. Right. Um, so if I wanted just the, the contract for the bond, whatever right. else, I could just tell you, plead them out to a DUI, have them come over. Right. But but truly, I'm post trying the bond to post and the bond, blah, blah, blah. and then and and, we'll and now they're in the way. system, and, and then and then they hire me for the next seven to eight years. I right. mean, literally. And so I'm sure there's attorneys out there that aren't. Going I've never to, heard it from you, but I have heard it. Yeah. And unfortunately, so put them in the like, proceedings, and then I yep. get my fee from it. Um, I tend to tell you, look, can you send them to certain right. areas? It, we're um, gonna, we're yeah. gonna tippy toe on that, but yes. Yeah. Um, there are certain places where in ICE is or not. whatever the plea deal is where we, we can avoid potentially putting them into proceedings is the best way to put it. And so whatever those strategies that you and I have worked out, um, you know, that doesn't benefit me at all, but it right. sure benefits the client. And yeah. so just to reemphasize where we both kind of care first is, is with the benefit of the client. Um, mm. And often that comes at expense of maybe more money to the firm, but yeah, in general, a DUI, is always going to be something we're going to want to make sure is taken care of, fully paid, um, you know, classes are taken and whatever else. Because yeah. if you don't complete it, then we do have a problem. Right. But if a DUI is completed, for the most part, with the exception of citizenship and maybe some other ancillary applications, we're still okay right now. So, Unless it escalates into something a little bit farther into DUI. So they come in, they, they do get a DUI, they end up avoiding immediate immigration consequences. They and sometimes up- that's the issue though, right? That's what I didn't mention is, is that sometimes there's no strategy because sometimes they're posting a bond, the client without knowing on the criminal side right. and there's ICE picking them up. So, okay. Yeah. You just opened a door. We are going to have to flush that out. What does that mean? Okay. That door just got opened. I wasn't going to, <laughs> but here we go. Sorry. So the door is open. Okay. Somebody gets a DUI, they're arrested. And that individual sitting in jail and a well-meaning family member post bond because the judge says, all right, you got a DUI and the bond is going to be $500 or $2,000 or whatever. Um, usually it's not a very huge bond, right. um, depending, but most of the time not. And then from there, um, they post a well-meaning family member and a desperate individual that's sitting in jail, which is not pleasant. Um is begging for somebody to post this bond 
that was interpreted to them through an interpreter that you, you have a bond. And if you post this bond, you get out. And if some miracle happens wherein they see you or me before that bond is posted, that is a miracle. Yeah. That is an absolute miracle, which... So the first call these folks need to do, the first call they need to make is to either your firm or mine um, before any bond, before any money changes hands, because this is what happens. They go down and they post the bond. You eloquently said it, but I'm just going to make this simple. They post the bond, and then they just have a bus ride from the jail where they're at to immigration jail. Which they don't realize when they're posting the bond. They have no idea. They're just moving... And so essentially, they've not only put themselves in immigration proceedings, but also paid a bond that was right. completely unnecessary. Right. So now the bond Because they're not is, getting out. Right. They're not getting out. Yeah. So they don't get the benefit of posting the bond. Yeah. And so then they go over to immigration proceedings. And from there, now the game begins on my end. Because I have to somehow, some way, get the state to talk to the feds and the feds to talk to the state, which is not an easy thing to accomplish in our attorney's here. Yeah. It work very, very hard, and we've done it, and we continue to do it, but it's hard to yank them because that's two different worlds. Mm-hmm. It's federal world as opposed to state world, and federal typically doesn't give a crap about state, and state typically doesn't give much never mind about federal. And so you're in this Bermuda Triangle, and sometimes I've seen folks in there for six, eight months in immigration jail awaiting something. Yeah something and they just holding out because they want to remain here in the United States and have documents, but they have a warrant for their arrest on the state side. Um, and all they did was post a bond and put themselves in this pickle. And a lot of times what it does is it causes an additional consequence because let's say I get them. So I'm able to convince a judge that it's a pending DUI. And so there's no conviction. And so the consequences are a little bit less judge lets them out on a bond on an immigration bond. They're not done with the criminal part. Right. And a lot of times, depending on whether they've served their time that day before they posted their bond, if they haven't served their 24 hours or whatever your sentence is, they got to go back once you fix. So then you're, they're going back to you. You're figuring out what their actual plea deal is. If they end up having to sell, serve additional jail time, once again, they run into that consequence of yep. immigration being contacted, and then they're now for the second time. And oftentimes, I can work that out depending on how the judge viewed the original case. If he yeah. truly analyzed it as whether, as if he was going to have a conviction for DUI, they'll maybe let him have the exact same bond he had before and just let him out. But sometimes they treat it differently, and they go, well, as a pending bond, I was okay with it. Now as a conviction of a bond, or as a pending DUI, I was okay with it. Now a conviction of a DUI, I'm not. So yeah, it's, 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 I mean, this it's not always unavoidable, but yeah. Right. It, it's a circle, but sometimes. it's always good for the, for the gente Latina. It's always good for the folks out there with these concerns to know if the inevitable happens, if, you know, we were talking earlier on, they like to get out there and, 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 and aprovechar. They like to get out there and have some fun go to the theme parks and go to the Great Wolf's Lodge and go to a Dodgers game or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not trying to pimp the Dodgers. I actually don't like the Dodgers at all. Did I just lose a lot of friends out there? I don't know. Um, the evil empire of the West. Um, that said, though, um, I did like Tommy Lasorda. 
Dang. a lot. Fernando Valenzuela. You're mm-hmm. dating yourself, man. Steve Sachs, who you got? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Steve Sachs. We had Mickey Hatcher. He went to Mesa High. He's a local product. I grew up a Dodgers fan because in Utah I didn't have any other option. It was the either. only thing that was on TV. Us so. either. I went. But I from, hate him now. I went from being an avid Dodger fan uh, right up to 1998 when we got our own team, yeah. and then I they're in our same division. That was like cruel and unusual punishment, right? For us, it was either Dodgers or Braves. Those were the two that were on TV. Braves were on TBS, and the Dodgers got the Fox games. So. We got. We have. We're, we're close. We had the Dodger games. Um, so Vince Scully is magic. And, oh, jeez, the Dodger dog. Anyway, um, and then you had, oh, man, there's so many likable. Uh, you got Lasorda. You got, the, I mean, the the lawnmower gig right there in the 1988 World Series when they they were fun to watch. Brought down the, the brought down the the mighty Oakland A's back then, the Bash Brothers, so on and so forth. That was cool. Oral, Oral Hershiser had a better batting average than the entire Oakland A's team did during the World Series. It was a sweep. If you're, you may, you may not remember. years old, but I do remember. So awesome. It was magic. And it was the year that they had that big, huge... Uh, earthquake. Yeah. Yep. So it was the Earthquake uh, World Series. Anyway, once... So I went from love to bitter hatred overnight because... They were spending way more money and beating us all the time, every which way but Sunday, and all the Diamondbacks fans out there know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I still have a little bit of nostalgic good memories of Kurt Gibson hitting Eckersley long. Ooh, it was a bitch. Okay, so I guess we've established that every little thing that is legally related, and even things that are not, affect those out there that have no documents so when we come back here next time let's start talking about that political science degree of yours and let's see maybe let's throw some ideas out there that might um resonate with with some folks sure practical solutions yeah well let's see if we can because i mean we see it and and I see it from one point of view. You see it from another point of view. We, we understand the problem, the hole in the pants. So let's see if we can't figure out how to, you know, let's spit a few ideas out there. So between now and next week, let's get a few ideas of where to even begin, where to start. I'm going to throw out and start the juices a little bit by saying I think we need to start by admitting there's a problem and let's let's now we can all agree on that possibly there's a problem houston uh now now what yeah so let's just kind of leave it there cliffhang it and let's talk about that next week 